At ITP, we come from different countries all over the world, speak different languages, and consider different ideas. We, we are, are architects, architects, dancers, mathematicians, mathematicians and artists, artists of every, of every kind. kind. For some reason, we all ended up here. From the fourth floor at Tisch, we bring you individual stories about makers and thinkers of ITP as we all learn, create, and of course, occasionally fail. Join us this semester as we go beyond the 10-second class intro. And you are an adjunct professor here? Yes. Teaching what? I teach pop-up books and paper engineering. Wow. How did, how did you get into that? Where, what's like the, where, did, where did you start from? Um, I went to uh, design school, uh, Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. uh, studied graphic design. I was originally interested in doing movie posters. <laughs> um, it was kind of during the dot-com, dot-com boom. And then right after I graduated, I got a job as a doing web design. Then things kind of fell apart. I got laid off and uh, was kicking around for a little while. And I answered a classified ad in the Village Voice. Uh, this was before Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I, and I just I got a job as a pr- production assistant, uh, working at a working at a studio, and I just really fell into it and learned on the job doing it for about 13 years. Let's, I want to talk about the, those movie posters like, that you said for a second, too. Was there, was there, if I went to your home right now, would there be, like, movie posters hanging everywhere? I, I don't believe I have a single one. <laughs> that, right. Well, what, what are the ones that you saw, like, uh, what are the ones that stick with you, are most memorable to you? Hmm, um, I think of, there's, there's a, off, off the top of my head, I'm yeah. thinking of these, like, Nigerian uh, movie posters of, of, uh, of American movies like Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and stuff like hand-drawn that are you know that, that are pretty cool um, I, China, a lot of Japanese uh, yeah. movie posters are really great and uh, I mean here and there the poster for adaptation is kind of nice sure. like, but uh, yeah it was it was a long time ago do you find that like different cultures' interpretations of American movies make for better posters generally? Uh, I, I don't know if better is the right word, sure. but uh, but but things that I find kind of more like there's a, a sense of humor or, or like a little maybe in my view a little little better because they're less serious. <laughs> you would have given me a million guesses. My last guess would have been a Nigerian Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> movie poster. That would have been pretty close to my last one. Um, so you were saying you, you grew up in, in upstate New York? Yeah, it's okay. a very small town. Like about uh, the county I grew up in was about 30,000 people wow. and uh, 10,000 of whom were prisoners. 10,000 of them were yeah. prisoners. Did, did, was there any interaction in terms of like community service between the prisoners and the community? Or it was uh, pretty separate, that's where the... Well, I mean, when I think about it, it, it was uh, the only time I, I really saw, you know, prisoners in, in person was uh, like if I go to the hospital or something. Um, you, and uh, also like when, when I first went to school, like going, uh, taking the bus home, it's like a seven and a half hour, eight hour ride. And, oh. and sometimes I'd see, you know, guys handcuffed like prison transfers. Um, another thing is a, a lot of the, the teachers at, at my schools like taught summers at the prisons. Uh, so I think there was there was kind of a there was like a certain uh, 
I say a certain mentality, like a, there's a very law and order kind of kind of feel. Did that affect? Was that was there like childhood lore? Like when you were kids playing around there, was it like I dare you to go to the prison, or was it like not even a part of growing up? No, it wasn't wasn't really part of growing up. I mean, like a lot of my friends' parents worked there, and, you know, worked as guards and things like that. But it, it wasn't it wasn't that visible. Did you find it having any influence on you as you grew up, or maybe in your work? Um. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hard to say. It was just very, it was kind of isolated, like it's a small place. So when I think about it, a lot of times, you know, after, you know, I've been in New York about 20 years and, um, and like, so I think that there, there was, there was definitely a culture shock when I came here and hmm. a lot of things that I was seeing, like I, 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 I'd seen for the first time, like other, other of my classmates had gone to art high school or had these, you know, there's like real, uh, real backgrounds and kind of a lot more worldly. And I think I came in with a, in a way, you know, it would help to have an open mind, but, but also a degree of, uh, naivete. Sure. Do you, that's so interesting too, because so we're sitting here now, you can't see it, but we, we, he has this amazing Frankenstein pop-up book, which is like, absolutely, uh, <laughs> you showed it to me before this, it like kind of blew me away. So do, do you feel that like, you know, when I think of pop-up books, I think of playful, I think of, you know, not childlike, but something that I would share with a younger generation. Do you feel like that naivete you were talking about translated into that sort of work? Or? Um, I, I try not to let it, <laughs> but, yeah. but, uh... Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say. Uh, I think I just, uh, you know, I, one thing, like, at least from my experience going to art school was because I had, you know, so little background before. Um, I feel like I really learned and, like, like experimented, like, learned what new ways to do things. So mm -hmm. I, I think I, I try to carry, away, carry over some of that, like, experimentation in my work. And I mean, and, of course, you know, I'm like influenced by you know all, all different things I've, I've seen and done, but uh, yeah, I don't know in a straightforward way how you know um, how my where I'm from like translated directly. Sure. Know, so well, then what what about um, maybe like artistic influences? What, what do you think over the years has really stuck with you artistically? Um, comics, definitely. Sure. Uh, you know, like uh, I remember picking up a. So as a teenager, like loving rockets for the first time, and and it's it's the kind of thing that I just really wouldn't be uh, you know be that interested in. Like it's I mean it's basically like a telenovela kind of. Is that, is it so like loving rockets is like a telenovela comic. Yeah, um, and but it's just really really good. <laughs> <laughs> so and it's really it, and it's just really exhaustive. Like it just goes on and on for you know like running for like 30 years or something wow. and it's and uh by um two brothers and a third brother that's like a writer and uh part of the story takes place in in like a real small town and in, in like the yucatan and huh. another part takes place with like uh in like uh los angeles and, there, and once in a while characters cross over between the two oh that's cool and uh to be honest i'm not even current on it but i remember i just getting really obsessed with it and just being like, like, wow, you know, like, this is something that, you know, that really, I really connected to at the time. Do you, do you still have any time for comics at all or you're it's just like too busy? Um, I, once in a while something will come out, uh, and, and I'll really get in, you know, get hooked into reading it. Um, sure. I think 
part of the problem is that, you know, comics are really expensive these days. <laughs> but if I can, you know, find something at the Strand or something, and uh, more often than not, I'm, I'm glad when I, when I pick it up. Mm. So have you ever read, like, I feel like a lot of people sometimes will read a book and imagine what it looks like as a movie. Do you feel that way when you read a piece of work, and do you envision it made it be as a pop-up book? Or? Um, actually, funny that you mentioned that. My... The first book I did, uh, I was working for. I was working for the studio, and uh, on the way, on the way to and from, I had you know about an, an hour long train ride, and uh, I started reading uh, Moby Dick. What? Wow. <laughs> as a as, as a kid, my dad was always telling me I should read it, and I always just kind of you know put it off like ah, yeah maybe one of these days, but yeah. it was just something I wasn't you know I wasn't really that interested in. And, uh, so I had this, you know, I had like an old beat up copy that mm. I just, you know, you know, I'd moved a few times and I'd always just brought it along. And, uh, and so one day I picked it up and I started reading it and I, I actually re got really into it. Like oh. it's a good, uh, it's a good thing to read in transit. Like there's times where you, you know, I'd kind of stop paying attention to it and then I'd start and then, um, and some, somehow it, it kind of worked with, you know, because it's about the, these long, slow yeah. <laughs> voyages. And it, it, it really, um, yeah, I'd say I, I really connected with it. And I started thinking, like, how would something like this look as a pop-up book? And uh, it took me about two and a half years after I started it to make it into a pop-up book and, um, and finally get published. And that was, again, you know, kind of connected with, with the with the theme like it was this long arduous sure. you know meandering <laughs> yeah, kind, of, yeah. kind of process but uh but yeah that, um i ended up uh, publishing that and wow. that was it was like a un unexpectedly successful dude and so but, uh, let's stick with that then more specifically it was like when you when you were reading it do things literally like pop out of the page you in your mind and you're like i need to have this pop out or how to talk about like that process what you determine comes to life um I think, uh, well, at the time, I, you know, my thinking was that uh, a pop-up book, it's kind of like a big-budget movie like, sure. to justify it. And, I mean, and, of course, it is a little more expensive to produce than a, than a regular book. Mm -hmm. um, but that you need some kind of a big thing, like, like big event, you know, like if you need scary monsters or you need some kind of, uh, some kind of spectacle. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought that... Uh, yeah, like Moby Dick would 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 be a really interesting pop-up book because of the way that it builds, like the you know the, the pacing, and also because of the you know the spectacle, because of the, the big things that happen, and you know uh, like um, paper is like essentially really thin wood, mm. and Moby Dick, you know, it's like a late uh, mid nineteenth century you know novel, so it takes place in a world where literally every, pretty much every hand every human made thing or the vast majority of human made things are, are made of wood and mm. living on a boat is like you know it's like you're living on this little island made of wood in the yeah. middle of the ocean like it's that's so terrifying that's <laughs> really terrifying and, and chasing around something that's not that much smaller than the thing that you're living on god it's terrifying so then yeah i guess the, you know it's all about kind of giving the reader that feeling right yeah, 
And I guess maybe, uh, now, now that you mention it, maybe that is some way that I kind of connected with that story, is growing up in a, real, in a really small town. Mm. Um, and uh, it, it has something to do with the, you know, the themes in Moby Dick of the kind of interconnectedness and the lack of agency in your life. Yeah. All right, cool, man. Thanks for sitting down with us. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. How are you doing? What's your name? My name is Dorothy. Do you want the long form or short form? Whatever. You go by Dorothy. Yeah. Dot, Dory, Dora, Do. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, it's a rainy day. It's nice. Well, like, actually with, like, everything. Like, like the state of the country. Were you all right last week? Were you right. okay? Were you... Um, your hackathon was this weekend? Right. Yeah. I think a lot... Uh, Kind of like juxtaposing the macro events with the micro events where like on a larger scale there are these um, change in power and change in public opinion and people trying to protest and trying to express their anger and also having to deal with my own life and kind of what what do I want to do as a person what am I interested in to contribute, and how can I contribute? Mm -hmm. um, so it's been an interesting week. Where are you from? I'm from Hong Kong. Are you from Hong Kong? Born and raised? I was born in Canada, okay. but I was raised in Hong Kong. How was it like growing up in Hong Kong? It's like very competitive. It's a very competitive city. Um, everything is kind of faster, better quality, um, more efficient. People are very hardworking. And kind of studying art in that environment is interesting, kind mm. of um, questioning values. And also, it became a lot about accessibility and how can you make art that is something so abstract and conceptual available to everyone. Because people who did study art with me kind of felt the same that this is actually really liberating by being able to think creatively and conceptually. You're actually able to critique your current situation, um, lifestyle, politically, economics, um, aesthetic value, um, family values from a different perspective. And so it's really important for us to make it accessible to people instead of like, instead of for them looking at art, be like, whoa, like you guys are privileged. You guys like don't have anything else to do. You guys are bad at studying. That's why you're studying art. Um, but actually, no, like, it's very important. Was that the vibe you got, usually? You, you, you were not a good student, therefore you were an artist? A lot, yeah. Like, for people who didn't really understand art, it would be... Or, like, I also have classmates to go to art school because they're not, like, academically... Ex like, they, they didn't excel academically in a sure. way, but not that they're a bad person. It's just, like, they just, like, text doesn't make sense to them or kind of... Um, they're not, like, the quote-unquote good student in class. You know, they're not, like, the very intellectual yeah. person. But then they're great at design or they're great at art, and so they go to art school. So it, it's easy to clump all those people together and kind of look at it um, in that way, especially when most of my classmates would go on to do economics or law or med medical school. Mm -hmm. So the, the first question would be, like, well, what are you going to do with the art degree? Well, but so, before that, even though, did you was there a moment for you in particular that you knew that the economics and the law degree and that stuff wasn't for you? 
Um, I'm sure there wasn't like, you know, you didn't wake up in the morning and go, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to be right. an artist, but, you know. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm actually really interested in economics. Um, that's why I kind of, like, framed the hackathon in the way that it's about economics. Um, but I think art is, I chose to study art because I think it's an alternative way of looking at life. And, a, and, it, and it's a, for me, it was to learn how to think instead of the content of what I'm learning. Okay. Like learning how to learn it in a different way. Instead of learning like these are the principles of economics, these are the laws of physics, but kind of thinking outside of the box. Um, was there an artist that opened your eyes to that in particular? Was I think my teachers, my art teachers, they're very encouraging. And yeah, they kind of were able to meld the different realms of existence together for me. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of only thinking about art as aesthetics or art as a skill, they were able to help me integrate all aspects of my life together. Okay. And, and, and you're in, in your journey now as an artist. What are you struggling with most? And I mean that in the broadest sense. What, what is it that right now is giving you most pause? Um, I mean, I think right now, especially starting... ITP, kind of, I'm learning all these new skills and tools um, that are not taught in traditional art schools. But also, I think the lack of a conceptual framework in the education itself, like, it's it's kind of, like, breaks the definition of art. And there's no official context to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So in art school... You know, we go through the same education in a way that you understand, like, the history of 20th century art. Mm-hmm. And so how that came about. Like, ready-made as, like, a Duchampian idea, and then kind of going through um, performance art, inst- action painting, lit installation, sound, and then, like, postmodernism, and how that becomes, like, a trajectory that we can talk about, and then kind of situate ourselves within that historic context. Like, this is what I'm doing because this relates to this art movement Mm. Um, and so and then you can kind of have a critique through comparison you're like well that was successful and then I'm hoping to improve that by doing this and then other people can who have the same vernacular can come in and kind of say well yeah I see what you're trying to do here but then at ITP there is very there's no kind of historic context for like all of us to talk about Mm -hmm. Um, so it's kind of like, the system of value is, like, the, the way we measure what is good and, or bad is, is it's kind of up in the air. Okay. Then it's hard to judge whether I'm making something meaningful or not. Do you worry about that? If, uh, is that, like, a concern of yours of when you make something? Like, is this meaningful or do you feel a sense of ease with it? Do you feel like, okay, I've made it, it's kind of out of me? Or do you then take a, a step mm-hmm. back and say, is there meaning to this? Um... I think I, I feel comfortable making whatever I make. I think the discomfort comes from the, the lack of conversation about what is being made or what people are thinking about. Hmm. Um, so a lack of awareness, really? Or? Yeah, a lack of awareness or like a lack of I think what was, like framework. Kind of like, so if a scientist, like even with Chris, I would talk about 
like she would, we went to this talk about, uh, this talk by a, a physicist who makes these sculptures about biological structures. And then for her, she felt like that was too much art and like too little science in a way that wasn't, like it, it was very simple in the way that was like visualizing these cell structures. And then for me, I was like, well, that wasn't very art because like his, he didn't really critique contemporary art so like there was no critical dialogue around the form that he's making it's very eurocentric so it was like so the two of us came to the same thing from a very different perspective yeah. and like had and then we we're like well we can't really there's no then there's no right or wrong well I, I, there's I, actually there's one thing i want to ask you about too i wanted to ask you about what you were like personally in oh. growing up in hong kong well, uh, uh, what were you like in high school, or the equivalent of high school? What was I like? Uh, I was... In what way? In like socially? You, or? Sure, socially. Were you, uh, yeah, socially. Socially, I didn't really have a friend group, so I kind of jumped around between different groups. Um, so that was really fun for me. Yeah. Kind of, I could be with the nerds, or with the people who are really good at sports, or with like um, the student organizers or with the teachers with I don't know, younger kids in the school. Um, That's just sort of fascinating about you though because it kind of speaks to your past 10 minutes of speaking which is you seem to defy a sort of generalization. You seem to have a great knowledge of category but your knowledge of category makes you defy being put into any of them. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that way about you. Do you, is that sound like something that you are to you? Do you feel that way? I guess so, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. There's no one place for you. There's no, like, no. yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty cool thing. So, it's, yeah, it's hard to describe when people ask me what I am. I'm like, I don't Yeah. Like, I mean, what, in, what are you now in this moment? Um, yeah, I feel cloudy. <laughs> kind of like, um, yeah, it can change. I'm, like, shifting my form into, like, different things. But it's also my mood that kind of like I'm a little tired and woke up late and I don't know confused, but <laughs> that's great. <laughs> but I'm going somewhere. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. That's it. ITP. This is Midori Asuda. Great. Well, I'm really excited to be in your office and interviewing you because I feel like you're like a legend here at ITP. You uh, help us out, all of us, so much. So, how long have you been here at ITP? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I've been here since 97, so 19 years. I'm going on 20 years, which is really insane. It's, you know, I've seen classes come and go. I've seen, you know, thousands of people come and go through this place. And it's, it's still a lot of fun. And, um, yeah. you know, there's a lot of people here, especially the faculty um, and some staff, you know, who have been here for as long as or almost as long as I've been here. So there's something about this place that is like glue, like it just really keeps people here. Um, and I think as ITP students, I think you all feel that. I mean, you only get, you know, the two years of that. But um, yeah, I mean, that, that it's resonated for that this entire time that I've been here. That's great. So you still enjoy being here. Yeah, I do. You know, yeah. yeah. When I talked to my husband, he said, you know, you guys, you guys actually like each other. <laughs> you know, it's so different from 
from other places where, you know, the, it's tense and everyone's yelling and, you know, right. I mean, we genuinely like each other. It's rare to find, I think. We are part of the larger NYU, but, you know, ITP is kind of its our own little special place on the fourth floor. So, yes. <laughs> so they say, or you have said it and other people have said it, especially professors, that we kind of change how ITP is going to be this year or we're going to dictate. Is there something that you've like a trend or something that you've noticed over the almost 20 years um it's definitely um the technology i mean that that you know for a while it was sound and then it was mobile and then it was vr and you know so it, it kind of just depends on what it is of the moment and so that really um kind of influences what's happening on the floor but it's also um there's certain personalities like there's some people that just naturally are leaders or doers or just the funny person on the floor you know and so that it also kind of defines the group um and so yeah it you know i I remember you know the dot-com era it was it was very different you know from what it is now which is more you know the maker the fabrication you know um so so in that sense yeah itp does change a lot um depending on what's happening but i think the overall feel of it has remained the same. Is there something that's happened here that has really influenced you in a positive way? Um, you know, I really wish you guys had the chance to meet Red Burns. You know, that she was here. She interviewed me, you know, when I first got this job and um I think I think it was uh George or maybe it was somebody else, I forget, um, who I met with first and they kind of warned me about Red, you know, she's very direct and she'll tell you what's on your mind and you know, but don't you know, don't don't take it personally. It, it's all, you know, meant in a positive way. And so I felt that I was ready and I went in and I, I sat down with her and, and um, you know, she was very straightforward and you know, I decided to take the job and, you know, just working with her, I mean we would yeah, I would tell her like it is, and she would tell me like it is, and she would say that I'm very stubborn, and you know, and the, she got it right. And my husband laughs at me all the time, you know. <laughs> he always kind of rubs that into my, in my face. Um, but it's true. I mean, she was a real force and a real leader of this place, and and definitely still there are signs of her everywhere. And it just it really bums me out that you you guys weren't able to experience you know who she is who she was yeah um but you have the her list of the quotes or the sayings um and uh i'm sure through stories you could see what an impact she had not only in this department but you know in this industry yeah what were you doing before you came to interview with red burns um so i I'm from California, so I was I went to UC Berkeley for um, psychology, and then I just wanted something bigger, <laughs> like we all do. Yeah. So um, I uh, I was thinking either New York or Chicago, and I really wanted to study criminal justice at the time, like kind of alternatives to incarceration. I wanted to sort of you know save the world kind of thing, and. Um, so I was looking at criminal justice programs and also um, uh, I applied here at NYU at the, um, the Wagner School of Public Administration and um, decided to go to Wagner, kind of take a more broader approach than specifically criminal justice. 
And so while I was a student there, um, I was working as a graduate assistant up in the Tisch Dean's office mm. upstairs, um, working on special programs, so high school programs, summer programs that Tisch ran at the time. Um, and so while I was up there, I graduated from Wagner and I stayed on. And then this position, actually Dante's position, the student and faculty services coordinator position became available. Um, and so that's when I interviewed with Red and then decided to, to stay uh, here at NYU. So I worked that job for a year and then my current job, which is doing admissions and special events, came up. Yeah. So then I moved over and I've been here since. <laughs> so great. Yeah. Um, is there a project that you can speak about that you've contributed to or that you're working on that you're passionate about or that you're really excited about? Um, well, these are old, old projects. I mean, yeah. We just want to hear. Yeah, what... I think both of them involve Tom Igo, and you can ask him when these were. But one of them was, um, I think it was like a like an early flash mob or something. Oh. So he got... I don't know how, but he got maybe 50 people or more, I'm not sure, to go to the top of the Empire State Building. And my so at the time, I lived on East 18th Street, okay. and I had access to my roof, and it was a clear view of the Empire State Building. I mean, from my bed, looking out the window, I can see the Empire State Building. So I was up on the roof with a video camera, and they all gathered on like the south, what is it, the southeast corner of the Empire State Building and at you know whatever time they all just started taking pictures and so like the flash literally was going off in that corner and then I was videotaping that so that was kind of fun when like roughly when was that oh my god that was like must have been like late 90s I would say so that was must have been around that time and then there was another one um god I don't remember the name of it it was like um it it was like the cows um kind of these huge cow sculptures that like took over New York and you can apply to um, design and paint this cow you know with, with a theme okay. and so it was Tom and I think it was Tom and Marianne uh, Marianne Petit and um, another alum Jonah Brucker Cohen well I didn't apply but they applied to design this cow so I just sort of you know join the team and it was like this like hipster like roller skating cow so we made this big roller skate and put the cow on it and then he had like a hat you know sort of sideways and so these cows I think it was a cow parade I think is what it was called and it was just all over the city um and uh I don't even remember where ours was located and then at at the end it was on display for a couple months and then they would auction them off oh wow that's really nice yes that was kind of (laughs) that's fantastic (laughs) yeah um well I'm I wanted to ask something that would apply to all of the people listening Mm -hmm. um because you've been here for so long and I feel like you just have wise words of wisdom (laughs) to either the people that have just come in this year or second years or above um or people coming back just to visit is there well, let's let's direct this a little bit. Um, let's refine it. Um, is there any wise words of wisdom that you would give to first years coming in? I think, um, like, try not to question yourself. I think at this point, everyone is sort of like, "What am I doing here? I don't get this. I don't understand. Why am I here?" Um, and I think everyone is feeling that way. It's not just you. 
Um, and it's really hard. I mean, you know, especially for people that have been out of school for a while or those who don't already have this technical background, um, it's really intimidating. And you're thinking that everybody else gets it except you, and it's totally not the case. Um, so it's really, it's like a, it's a kind of like a stick to itness. Just, just keep going, and it will make sense. Um, and it's, it's really that first semester, you know, where kind of everyone you know, you're on this very steep curve and then it, it kind of just clicks and you get it. And then starting in the second semester, you can start to take your classes and, you know, really apply the things that interest you. Um, and then it starts to make sense after that. And then you start to think, oh my God, I don't have enough time now, you know. Um, but, but yeah, it's really um, just trust in yourself. I mean, you're here for, we accepted you for a reason. You're here for a reason. We know you can do it. So. Yeah. I appreciate that. I'm still waiting for the click. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I appreciate that. Those, uh, those I mean, words. there's, there's maybe it's pure talent, you know, untapped talent. I don't know, but there are people here that have never programmed, have never done anything remotely technical. And it's like, it's, it's amazing, you know, a year from now, two years from now, you know, they feel so comfortable doing this stuff. They yeah. never thought, you know, imagine that they could. Um, so it'll happen it's just you gotta just give it time perfect well then that's the time that's okay. uh, all the time we have and thank you so much for sitting sure. down with me thank you thanks for listening to this week's episode of ITP's podcast stay tuned for next week where we're going to introduce more students and their stories now if you enjoyed this episode and you want to be a part of it reach out to Alex Fast Chris Hall Patrick Presto or Laura Carey we'll see you next week